What's up? This guy. Okay, well, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (sighs) You guys, this is the Aho feeling. (laughs) (laughs) I guess the sky's up. I guess we know that. Yeah. Did I transport into like 2000? Cat, you've got to let us introduce you. No. One time. At this point, it's never going to happen, and I've given up. Does it? Does that make you feel good to know that I've given up? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Either way, I think we should be better at intros because I learned that recently on a podcast thing that I was listening to. Oh, just in case, already. yeah, just in case this is somebody's first episode, we can we can do a good job. We've so. been doing a good job at intro since like episode four. Exactly, so, like, and we well, let's let's try to do our best now. We can improve. We can do this. Or, or I'm Taylor. No. Who are you? I'm a human being. All right. Her name's Emily. I don't think this is really working. I'm not sure it is. That's Kat also. She's supposed to be here. She's only sometimes supposed to be here. She's my roommate. It's true. She's our sometimes. Yes. Kat and Emily live together. And Kat sometimes sits in and listens to our our Dum Dum podcast. Yeah. And uh, it makes us happy. Jesus. That's what I got to say to that. I mean,. Yeah, You're probably gonna be saying that more by the end of this. Oh, Robs, oh my god, yeah, nice. probably. Awesome. So this is gonna be an interesting one. First of all, it's been a shit show getting here. It was a shit show setting up. So um, we'll just see. Hopefully everything uh, just goes well, and we can we can do what we need to do. Should we make like a formal announcement about what we're gonna be doing in Chicago? I think we should. Because we haven't talked about it. I know. Well, we I don't know if we knew for sure last time we recorded. I think we did. Oh, shit. But it was really new. Maybe. And, and it was we really just fresh like, and we were like, uh. Yeah. So we are going to be a part of, and I believe I'm right about this, it's just called the Women in Podcasting Festival. Yeah. That's um, niche. I like it. Yes. I like it. Yeah. It's in Chicago. Um, it's going to be at the Otherworld Theater. Yes. On October sixth. Yes. yes. Oh my God! I just pulled that out of nowhere. Thank you for double checking. Yes. I want to. I want to make clear the other world theater. Like that's the name of the theater. It's not a theater in like an alternate dimension. We don't know for sure. Is the thing. Cool, cool, cool. All, All I right. know is it's by Wrigley Field. Yes. So anything is possible. That's like right. a liminal space. It is. Yeah. So. so time is a flat circle everywhere, but there. Yeah. It's weird. Wrigley Field is just one giant ass fairy circle. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now we're gonna talk about string theory. Yeah. And about. <laughs> Because that's what the podcast is about. That's actually what the podcast is about. I We've actually been, was I obsessed go. with string theory when I was in high school. So go. We've been waiting for the podcast to be about this the whole time. So for those of you who have been around for Survivor Stories, we're sorry. We're, we're on to a new dupe. thing. It was a dupe. We duped you. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about time not being a linear thing. 31 episodes of some other shit. And we're finally and we're getting finally around to the here. real stuff. We have finally reached our final destination. <laughs> um, but either way, we would love it if you guys wanted to come. There's a lot of other podcasts that we assume are dope who are going to be there. Yeah. Um, we're going to be up on... We don't know what time we're going to be up, but, you know... We're going to be doing stuff. Yeah. We're going to be around. She's going to be talking about a thing. I'm going to be talking about a thing. We're going to do... You know, we'll be talked about. Like yeah. we do. Yeah. In the way that we do, typically. Oh my but, god! Like we also need to get this under twenty-five minutes, so that might not happen. Yeah, that's another thing. You can come and watch us struggle to fit what we usually regularly make an hour of like worth of content. Editing can't help you now. Yeah, no, we need to make oh, it into god. twenty-five minutes. Oh god! Which means oh. we just have to shut the fuck up a lot, which we can't do. We don't know how. So It'll be fine. Today. It'll be fine. It's not going to be fine, but like it's going to be. It's going to be like something. Yeah, it's going to be something. Yeah. 
So. So. We have to do this in two parts. We do. So we need to decide who's going first, I guess. Fine, I can go first. It really doesn't matter. Oh this is our problem. God. The night doctor! <laughs> <laughs> Usually that's how it works now. Somebody just starts yelling first, and then <laughs> that's how we do it. Okay, so I'm going to talk about a legend that was based in truth. I'm starting this off by talking about the legend before I move into the actual story. Okay. So we're going to talk about the Night Doctors, which are also sometimes called the Night Riders or the Clan Doctors. Oh, oh no. All right. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh-oh. Feeling. So, <laughs> I have an uh-oh feeling. How about you, Kat? A little bit. Oh, my <laughs> God. Guys. Yeah. So, this stems from an African-American folklore that was predominantly told in Georgia and Alabama, uh, mostly told by slave owners to keep their slaves fearful of leaving. Um, sure. Even after they were okay to do so. So, so like, like y'all are free to go, but just but just case. watch out for the night doctors. The slaves have been freed, but also be afraid. Yeah, <laughs> great, awesome. So the night doctors were about a group of men who would ride around at night abduct abducting black workers and performing experiments on them. So they would literally snatch people off the streets, take them to medical facilities, dissect, torture, and kill them. I'm not in love with the idea that this was folklore and then there's a real story. Yeah, and then they would harvest their organs. No. Oh, wow. All right. So, so straight up kidney thieving along with this. No, totally there, were, there were similar stories around the South. Like New Orleans had the needle men or the black bottle men. The two mean age needle teetle men. <laughs> that would stick people with needles full of mysterious deadly toxins or use black bottles of poisons. So that they could then take their bodies back to Charity Hospital or John Hopkins Hospital for student doctors. Oh, yeah. Now, the Black Bottle men actually, John like, Hopkins. it's a very famous hospital in America. Johns Hopkins. Yeah. Johns Hopkins. Yeah. Don't, don't fucking worry about it don't too much. Don't worry about oh, it. Let's, let's go Seriously, back. Like, that's a whole, a that's a whole other thing. With the Black Bottle, there was a medicine that people were normally given when they were administered to the hospital that came in a Black Bottle. So that's kind of like where that's coming from okay that doesn't sound like if some doctor just walked up to you and was like well you're here now so you need this and handed you a black bottle yeah there was just there was a whole thing behind it oh my god that i didn't get into because it didn't tie into my story at all that's fine was now i'm just creeped out it's yeah, fine yeah you should be you I should do it if he was dressed like a doctor oh my god <laughs> no not necessarily Cat. you need more her uh-oh feeling is so like underdeveloped anyway do go on so there was some foundation behind these fears because there was a lot of grave robbing for bodies for medical experiments and that kind of shit. You had the LaLaurie house in New Orleans where they were keeping slaves in the attic and performing experiments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That yeah. one's that horrible. That fucked up. I've seen that house. Super duper jacked it's up. It's real gross. An American Horror Story. Yeah. 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 Woo. Oh, we're good. <laughs> now... Here's the thing. Uh-huh. So let's travel back in time. I love doing that. All the way back to 1932. Are we climbing on the magic school bus for no, this? No. Okay. With Emily? I no way. No. <laughs> I don't think the magic school bus would go back to Alabama in the 1930s. Oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to just go to Tuskegee, Alabama. 
Okay, that sounds familiar. Yeah, you might know them for the Tuskegee Airmen. Yeah, they were a night in the museum. I get all of my American history <laughs> from movies, in case you haven't been able to tell yet. Oh my god, it's so real, huh? <laughs> there was also a study done. Some call it the Tuskegee Experiment. Formerly called the Tuskegee Syphilis Study. Oh, good. So syphilis is involved. I guess. Yeah. This is all fine. Don't so, 1932, Alabama's Public Health Service, which I will now, from now on, refer to as PHS because that's too many words. Legit. They got 600 African-American men. 399 of them already had syphilis. 201 did not. Uh-oh. They were given food and burial insurance and were promised free medical care. <laughs> burial insurance is great. Like, hey, you're going to die anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. But we're like, going to take care of it. And remember, this is during the Depression. So this is probably pretty this decent. Is, this is decent. They get a hot meal. They get medical care. And their families don't have to worry about finding the money to bury them. Yeah. I mean. So, like, it's a good deal in a rural area of Alabama. Dust Bowl and all that shit. Yeah. Like, dark so, times. like, it's rough. The Depression was real, real bad for yeah. people like people Kat. People were jumping just... off of buildings. Yeah. I know the Depression. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not all about the states. <laughs> so, they were given, they were like, oh, we'll treat you. It'll be great. And then the funding got cut because of the Great Depression. I'm shocked. Did they stop the study? No. Oh, no. So, the funding was cut. But nobody told the participants. They still wanted to observe the progression of the disease. So they kept going and just only told them they were being treated for bad blood. They never told them they had syphilis. Wait, the people who came in already having syphilis didn't know? No. Oh, my God. And I'll get into that. They were never told they had syphilis. The standard treatment of penicillin that I'll talk about later was never given to them. Oh, my God. And the scientists made further decisions to withhold any medication from their patients and still didn't tell them they had syphilis. This went on, this, this experiment, this study was 40 years, 40 years, 1932 until it was shut down in 1972. And people never knew in 40 years, they never knew they had syphilis. Nope. They were like, oh, I guess I'll get into that. Some of them figured it out once World War II came up. Because they got drafted. But oh, like, and then they're like, that. you can't be in the army. You yeah, have syphilis. syphilis. And yeah, I'm going to get into all that. Okay. So, Tuskegee. Quote, these anniversaries offer a unique opportunity for us to remind America and the world of, medical, of the medical injustice that occurred here in Macon County. We have to continue to tell their stories so that such injustices never happen again. That was said by Fred Gray who was the civil rights attorney that brought the class action lawsuit on behalf of the unwilling participants. Good. I'm so glad that there was one He also represented Rosa Parks. So like, Oh, it's that badass. Yeah. So like when he, I'll talk about him later when he found out this was happening, he was like, Oh, we're doing a class action lawsuit. I got this. Don't worry. Absolutely. Hell yeah. So it's the fall in 1932. Hello, 1932. The 1932 equivalent of pumpkin spice lattes is just wafting down the streets. Maybe horse shit. I was going to say, yeah, it's probably just like dirty water and horse shit. (laughs) Cool. There are flyers that begin getting posted all around Macon County, Alabama, promising colored people special treatment for their bad blood. 
Okay. Can you explain to me what bad blood means in this? Can you explain to me what syphilis means? I'll get in there. Hold on. Calm down. You might want to tell her where babies come from while you're at it. (laughs) I get syphilis and staph mixed up. Okay, yeah. Let's. um... (laughs) I'm going to talk about what syphilis is in a little bit. (laughs) So on the posters, they said, free blood test, free treatment by county health department and government doctors. You may feel well and still have bad blood. Come and bring all your family. Mm. What does this mean? So hundreds of men, all black, most of them poor, signed up. Some thought they were being treated for rheumatism or bad stomachs, but they were promised, like I said, free meals, free physicals, and burial insurance. I'm wondering how they... Was syphilis just like a huge thing? You might be about to get into this. Yes, there was a huge breakout in Macon County, actually. Because if if they're not... They're not advertising for people with syphilis. No. And these people don't know they have it, yet they, they find almost 400 yeah. people who do. Yeah. Crazy. There was a huge breakout. It was an Oops. epidemic. All righty. That's good to know. Yep. We had an epidemic back in the 30s, and then there was another epidemic of syphilis in, like, 2015. Ew, That's really? Yeah. yeah. Syphilis is so gross, too. It's so gross. <laughs> it's, like, it's so fucked up. Okay, so... Last my last little paragraph before I'm going to talk about what syphilis is. So so just hold on. (laughs) I see your eyes. She's awaiting with bated breath. (laughs) So the formal name for the study was the Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in the Negro male. Great. It was a secret experiment conducted by the U.S. Public Health Service. I mean, that's so fucked up. It's so fucked up. Government sanctioned, completely secret. To watch the progression of the disease without treatment. Yeah. Awesome. So let's talk about the French disease. I thought that was leprosy. No. (laughs) Where are you? (laughs) (laughs) Emily's trying really hard not to just like die. (laughs) Which is the one where your limbs fall off? That's leprosy. leprosy. What's syphilis? (laughs) Oh my god. Okay. Let's hear about it. (laughs) So it reminds me of one of those like air dancer advertiser things. But it's, like, definitely out to murder you. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's fucked up. It's so fucked up. It looks so weird under a microscope, and it's, like, all wiggly and gross. Nasty. And we watched this, like, video in, like, health ed in our sex education section that was all of the STDs, but they were, like, little animated creatures. And Syphilis was, like, wearing a trench coat, and he was tall and lanky and, like, hanging around a corner. Great. And he was purple. So, Sounds completely normal. You know. <laughs> so Syphilis... You can get it, obviously, through sex. You can also get congenital syphilis. If you are giving birth to a baby, you can give the baby congenital syphilis. If you have syphilis while giving birth. Ooh, unfortunate for that baby. Yes. And it's bacterial, so if it remains untreated, it will fuck you up, as most bacterial things are. Oh, yeah. But it's also treatable the way but most bacterial But it is treatable. At this point, they had treatments for it, but penicillin hadn't been found as the go-to treatment for it yet. Yeah. But that does come up during the study. Interesting. So there are four stages of syphilis. Normally you get sores. You don't really see any symptoms at first. Um, You can start to get open sores. It has a lot of tertiary diseases that it can cause, like meningitis. It can get up into your brain and basically, like, eat away at your brain and make you go crazy. So it was called the French disease. Because it was originally discovered in, like, the 15th century in Naples. 
when there was like French invasions and oh, it was I was just about like to say, hold up, that's Italy. <laughs> no, there were like French invasions okay. and shit, and it was like it's a whole thing. Plus, I think we just love attributing things to France. Yeah, yeah. Here, <laughs> have this debilitatingly awful disease, right? That will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> totally fine. Slowly. And it's real gross. And it's also a huge wuss. Call it a French disease. <laughs> yeah. Cowards. <laughs> Do you still need more explanation on what syphilis nope, is? got it. <laughs> okay. We're all here with you. If anyone else needs to know, Google it, but don't, Google it safely. You've been warned for images that might come up because it gets nasty. I'm sure there's a lot of just I like fucked people, up genitals. Yeah, no, I think people that Google something from this podcast are going to expect like at least some gore Mo mostly anything that i do up. mostly anything yeah. i do she's that's fair she gets real fucked up over there i do <laughs> I have no sense of anything but i think your listeners do i didn't go on to reddit for this one but i did go into the archives of the new york times so gross it was a good time sounds great yeah so why why did they think to do this like what made them pop into their little heads being like yeah let's let's look at syphilis can i guess yeah they're sciencey, so they just want to find out stuff. She just threw her phone. Let me guess. You Googled it, didn't Dude, you? Did oh. you see source? Did you yep. see the source? Yep. Oh, dude, why? It's like chicken pox, but like 10 times. Yeah, and there's also, yeah. it like, can That's fuck up your face is. and oh. does all yeah. sorts of neurological garbage. So I wanted to guess that <laughs> just because, look, science for a really long time and even now, too, is more about like, sh like could we over should we? And it sounds interesting. And also, they're like, Look, there's all these black people and they're disposable, right? So is that, am I right? No. What? Oh, I mean, kind yeah. of, but okay. not why they decided to do it. Interesting. Oh, I, uh, yeah. No, we I can blame way. the Norwegians for this one. What? In Norway. Damn. The Norwegians had a study in 1928 that reported on the pathologic manifestations of untreated syphilis in several hundred white males. Interesting. So, I mean, it's Norway. There's yeah. only white males. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tuskegee was like, "Oh, let's you know what? Let's let's build on this, and let's do the opposite. Let's not look at white males. Let's look at black males." Okay. They reasoned <laughs> that they were not harming the black men involved because they were unlikely to get treatment for their syphilis. And further education would not diminish their inherent sex drive. Oh, no. Uh... So they also firmly believed that the symptoms of syphilis manifested differently in black people. Wow. Great. Look, no. I like how our hypothesizing is wrong, but the answer is still racism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, like, look, people aren't surprising. So, it's like the 30s in Alabama. Yeah, dude. They don't really care. No, of course not. They're not people mm. to them, mm -hmm. as it's going to come up later. So Ugh. they did determine later that they were actually harming their subjects. Oh, it's shock. What? <laughs> <laughs> By depriving them of the appropriate treatment. Uh-huh. That all came out. So. I'm so mad. <laughs> Dude, we suck. I'm not going to go through all the people responsible for forming the study. I'm going to name a couple because I know you're thinking probably like, oh, God, fucking white people. It wasn't all white people. Oh, no. What? 
Oh, they had geez. to get trust of the rural African American oh, community. <sighs> Most of the time, we're the dicks in the situation. Like ninety nine point nine percent. Look, institutional racism is still at fault for most things. It is, and it is technically at fault for this. Black people didn't come up with the idea, right? But they helped. All right, continue. I'm sad. Okay, press. <laughs> so. Like I said, the researchers never obtained informed consent. They never told them they had syphilis. And, again, they weren't being treated. Just watched. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, this began as a six-month study to watch the pathology around the syphilis in Macon County. Six months isn't... Uh, isn't you said four years or like 40, 40, oh. 40, six months 40. and 40 years are very different. Yeah, I gotta yep. add a zero to that. The physicians believed that in the African Americans, it manifested in their cardiovascular system and it was more affected than their central nervous system. So, six to eight months, they were treated with contemporary methods at first, including that 606 which is also called um, Solvarsin. They did mercurial ointments and then mm. bismuth. Ooh. Yeah. So these were, you know, kind of effective. Sure. Kind of. Just like most medicine, uh, <laughs> I'm sure about And then. again, very toxic because most of them had arsenic in them. Uh, yeah, oh you my said God. the word mercury. And I was <laughs> yeah, like, mercury and arsenic, so, you know. Was there ever any old lace involved? Sorry. Welcome to the Uh-Oh Feeling Podcast, where everything's depressing, nothing matters, so we make jokes to cover it up. Uh-huh. So, the Tuskegee University, their affiliated hospital, basically, like, loaned PHS, its medical facilities, and then other black institutions and local black doctors stepped in to help out. Um, medical ethics, as you can guess, limited. So limited. Sure. And they just kind of went downhill from there. Just a bit. Yeah. It's scotch. They, the study was asking black Tuskegee Institute physicians to participate in the study by offering funding, employment, interns, anything to encourage the ongoing participation so that they could keep bringing in patients. Um, the study also intentionally employed Eunice Rivers, who was a black nurse from Macon County, and she was there to build that personal trust between the patients. Sure. And she was so, with the program for all 40 years. Yeah, Whoa. So, hang on. Do you think they, like, set her aside in the room and they were like, listen, this is what we're doing. We need you to build their trust? Or do you think she was doing it? And they hid didn't... a lot of their intentions. So you think she was just, She like, thought okay. that they were helping people. Cause today... She genuinely thought they were helping people. Oh, that poor woman. Because to be there for 40 years, yeah. like, you yeah. have to be lied to. So no one told her that the funding was no. good or anything either. So to ensure that people would continue to show up, especially as they needed to do spinal taps on them. Mm. Ouch. No. Which had nothing to do with the treatment of syphilis. <laughs> Guys, <sighs> it literally, like, the reason they did it was to see if it had spread into their brain yet if it was in their spinal fluid so literally they advertised for it saying it's a last chance for special free treatment for their bad blood for their bad blood 
And then, like I said, they, they undergo the autopsy. And, like, the families had to, had to give the body up for the autopsy. Otherwise, they wouldn't get the funeral benefits. So they had to do the autopsy. Otherwise, they weren't getting buried. I'm right? mad, and we just started. So one of our survivors, Charles Pollard. Hi, Charles. What's up, bro? Um, remembered when he and other guys were hearing about people getting free physicals at one of the local schoolhouses. And a quote is, so I went over and they told me I had bad blood. And that's what they've been telling me ever since. They come around from time to time, check me over, and they say, Charlie, you've got bad blood. My God. That's not a medical Just, term. Yeah. <laughs> People said you could get free medicine for yourself and the things, that kind, things of that kind, and they would have a meeting at Samming Chapel at a certain date. So they would get together every once in a while, talk through it. Yep, you sure got bad blood. Oh, man, yep. do you have some and bad blood. Saying, yep. blood. All I knew was that they just kept saying I had the bad blood. They never mentioned syphilis to me, not even once. They've been doctoring me off and on ever since then, and they gave me a blood tonic. I'm, so, the, yeah. they didn't even explain to him what they meant by bla bad it blood. Like, oh, no, it's bad no, blood. They're just like, bad blood. It's, it's bad blood. Term. It's so yeah. fucking made up that they didn't even bother to define it. <laughs> nope. So... Yeah, they were giving them placebos, mostly. Sure. Um, they had a little round pill, as he described it, that was sometimes a capsule. Sometimes there was a little vial of medicine, and everybody got the same thing. So, in some scientific experiments, especially with medical trials, some people get the placebo, some people get the real thing. But they're informed that they're going to be getting one of the two. I'm assuming there was none of this. No. Cool. No. <laughs> We're breaking all the rules no, on I this mean, one. Listen, you're telling somebody they have bad blood. You're like, if you're going to go, go hard, right? Like, I mean, I guess. Is that what they did? They sat around a table and stared at each other and thought, we're going to do this one hard? Yeah, they stared <laughs> yeah. at each other and went, y'all, so, full ham. <laughs> let's just go. Let's go back to Eunice. Hi, Eunice. So... She was told, as most were, that these patients could not receive treatment. Like they were incapable of getting They were it? not allowed to receive treatment. Oh, not allowed. Okay. From anyone. Yeah. Woof. That must have been so hard she to watch. She followed someone to a doctor's appointment that was outside of the study to make sure they didn't receive treatment. Whoa. What? Because that's what she was told to do. Eunice, honey. Yeah. I'm really hoping so, that this was at least early on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, World War II comes around. That was a thing that happened. Yeah, it was World a thing War that II. happened. Yeah. I mean, truth. Um, before we get into World War II, they did publish clinical data. Their first publication was in 1934. And then they did their first report in 1936. And basically everything was out for the world to see. That this was happening, and they continued to submit reports for people to see. So everybody knew about it, and yeah. nobody stopped it. People in the medical yeah. field looked at it and were like, okay. I mean, it was already sanctioned by the government, so I guess yeah. it's not that surprising. Yeah, the CDC also got involved in this and was backing oh, it, so. Fabulous. Yeah. Cool. So, World War II comes around. People are getting registered for the draft. 250 of the men that were in the study 
got registered for the draft. Now, obviously, they go through a military induction center. Yeah. And they were diagnosed with syphilis. First I'm hearing of it. What? <laughs> what? No, you don't understand. It just said bad blood. <laughs> and they were told they needed to obtain treatment before they could join the army. They were told they needed to get this treatment. PHS researchers did their best to prevent this from happening. God damn it. I wish I was I wish I was surprised. I know. Um, <laughs> Doesn't mean I have to like it. Right. So there is a quote from a PHS representative from that, that time period of when people were registering for the draft. Quote So far we are keeping the known positive patients from getting treatment. Despite this, um ninety six percent and this is the end of the quote. So ninety six percent of the the ninety original test subjects were re-examined in 1963 have since then received treatment. They, they got treatment. Well, thank fuck. Yeah, I mean, from good. another health yes. provider. Yeah, right. Not from uh, so, the experimenters. Sure. 1943 comes along. Congress passes the Henderson Act, which is a public health law that requires testing and treatment for venereal diseases. Oh, shit. What you going to do now? Ignore it. Oh. Oh, good. Well, that well, that's... Was an spoiler answer. alert. That's not, that's not what I was hoping for. That was an answer, not the one I wanted. No. By 1945, according to the CDC timeline of venereal events, penicillin was accepted as the treatment choice for syphilis. Now... PHS around the country was creating rapid treatment centers to help people that were afflicted with syphilis. Except in Macon County. They didn't want any syphilis treatment centers down there. I just, everybody's cool with this. Yeah. Like they're trying to put up treatment centers and this one county's like, nah, we're good, yeah. fam. You know what? Hard pass. And so, everybody knows why. And everybody's chill. Word starts getting out. So the placebos start coming out more and more, and patients are being told they're being treated, oh and they're being God. lied to. Now, after World War II, we had, you know, all those human rights violation trials. Yeah, I think some stuff happened in World War II. I'm pretty sure something, a yeah, couple things. Yeah, some shit yeah. came out about what happened during the Holocaust. Yeah. Just, just and something minor like the human no medical experiments that were occurring. Absolutely. Yeah, this oh, all sounds normal. Okay. That, that was Mendel, the angel of death. Oh, and, and we're vilifying the Germans, and here we are doing a so, horrible experiment at home. That's cool. By 1964, the World Health Organization's Declaration of Holinsky specified that any experiments involving human beings needed to have informed consent of the participants. Oh, thank fuck for that. Oh my I'm god. Assuming they just ignored it. I can't believe that was uh, 1964. Duh. Yeah. Oh yeah, they ignored it. They're like, oh, okay. No one took a look at the protocols of the Tuskegee study to look at the new standards in medical treatment of human subjects. Who are these monsters running this? So they're just like, eh, fuck it. Now, 1966. Public Health Service investigator raises concerns about the study. Mild concerns. 
Peter, this isn't a good idea, folks. Peter Buxton wrote to the director of the U.S. Division of Venereal Diseases about the ethics of the experiment, and he was ignored. What the? So funding was still going on then. They were still doing it. Like, they were still doing everything. Yeah, like the They'd gotten funding from the government. Yeah, the yeah. government was still like, oh, you see this big-ass yeah. rule saying we shouldn't do that? Let's just ignore that. Here's some well, money. Well, there has to be some funding, otherwise yeah. they wouldn't be able to do it at all. Yeah. Buxton eventually leaked this information to an Associated Press reporter yes. named Gene Heller. Yes. Now, this was 1966. When do you think the article was published? Uh-oh. Gene. Uh... uh. 1974. Yeah. July 26th, 1972. Oh, I wasn't there. Heller's story appeared on the front page of the New York Times, revealing that the men had deliberately been left untreated for 40 years. Oh, my God. And she called it one of the grossest violations of the human rights I can imagine. There should be a movie probably about her trying to get that published. Are you serious? There's a movie about this study. Oh, shit. So it was on the front page. Um, Peter Buxton, who was the whistleblower, um, yeah, he leaked the information. It got all around the world, like, everywhere. Yeah, because it's fucking horrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That shit's gross. So, the quote defending the study was, the longer the study, the better the ultimate information we would derive. No. For the everyone but those guys. The men's status did not warrant ethical debate. They were subjects, not patients. Clinical material, not sick people. What the Whoa. Sh- what the fuck? You can't just say that out loud. Uh, what the fuck is wrong with you? So my- the study was finally stopped. And then the following year, there was a congressional subcommittee. That held hearings on the Tuskegee experiment. Please tell me good. some good came from this. By the end of the study in 1972, there were only 74 of the test subjects that were still alive. Oh. Of the original 399 men, 28 had died of syphilis. 100 were dead of the related complications. Remember I talked about those tertiary diseases? Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. And then 40 of their wives had been infected. Oh, my God. Like and the 19 other of their children were born with congenital syphilis. God fucking damn it. That's basically a death warrant. Yeah. It's not treated. Because also, yeah. I didn't want to get too far into it because, like, the wives and the children are still feeling some of the effects from this. Like, the descendants mm-hmm. and talk about how they were treated as outcasts and mm-hmm. no one would let the wives into the program. They wouldn't let them get treated. Like they wouldn't oh let them God. get tested. That's... So that's some sexism about all like on top of the racism or just, well, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is that seems to be, it's not just like the people who are in the study are not getting treated and that's horrible, but also there's people, they didn't let treatment centers in the County in general. How many people had syphilis who weren't in the yeah. study in that County yeah. who still couldn't get access? Yep. All those people's wives couldn't get access. Yep. All their children couldn't get access. Like this is Bad. crazy. And they're not telling them, and they were assuming that most of them, because there's a point in the syphilis timeline where you're no longer contagious, like you can no longer spread it. Okay. Hmm. And that's usually getting towards end stage. Like you're dying. Like you're, you can't, there's not much they can do for you anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so once it hits that point, 
they were assuming most of these men were at that point. They had no way of knowing. Yeah, because they yeah, had... That's what a science experiment needs, guessing. Yeah. <laughs> we're pretty sure. So well, there, was, yes. there was also another whistleblower named Erwin Schatz. Hey, Erwin. Who was a Chicago doctor who was only four years out of medical school. Oh, my God. And found an article about the study in a medical journal. And then also wrote a letter directly to the study's authors confronting them about unethical I hope, practices. I hope the first words were just, what the fuck? <laughs> Again, it was ignored. Of course. Oh, yeah. All right, and cool. it was put away with a brief memo saying no reply should be sent. Oh, and I was expecting that they had some kind of burn barrel, but they're filing yeah, these like, away. This is the fucking incinerator where people that raise questions, all of the stuff that they write just gets shoved in there. Mm-hmm. 1968, there was another person trying to call attention to it, William Carter Jenkins. He oh, was nice. an African-American statistician in public health service who was oh, part of the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. And he was devoted to ending racial dis discrimination in the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. Cool. Um, he called for an end to the study. Didn't happen. Totally ignored? Yep. Cool. Like, I wish I could say I was shocked at this point, like you said earlier. Exactly. Like, it's not, it's not surprising. It's upsetting, but that's yep. surprising. So 1973 class action lawsuit was filed, like I said, um, by Mr. Gray, who was the civil rights lawyer represented Rosa Parks. Yeah, Mr. Um, Ray's a badass. Pollard, the survivor I talked about, was among those that he represented. So part of the settlement of the class action lawsuit that was then backed by the NAACP on behalf of the study participants um, was that the U.S. government had to pay $10 million, which by 2017 equals $49.6 million. And agree to provide free medical treatment to the surviving participants and to the surviving family members yes. infected as a consequence of the study. Uh, Congress also created a commission empowering them to write regulations to deter sex abuses from happening in the future. Good. Uh, 1974, Congress passed the National Research Act to help prevent exploitation of human subjects. Even though that was already a thing that they shouldn't have done and was written down that they shouldn't have done yep. it. Sometimes horrible things aren't obvious to us unless they're written down in laws. Twice, apparently. And mm -hmm. then on May 16th, 1997, President Bill Clinton issued a formal apology to the eight remaining, remaining survivors of the experiment. Eight by the 90s? Eight? Eight. Wow. I mean, I know that, like, they were probably old anyway, yeah, but, like, but still... Like, at least 140 of them died from syphilis or Yeah, how many more of symptoms? them could have been there still? Yeah. Uh. So, quote, the United States government did something that was wrong, deeply, profoundly, morally wrong. It was an outrage to our commitment to integrity and to equality for all our citizens. To the survivors, to the wives and family members, the children and the grandchildren, I say what you know. No power on earth can give you back the lives lost, the pain suffered, the years of internal torment and anguish. What was done cannot be undone, but we can end the silence. We can stop turning our heads away. We can look at you in the eye and finally say on behalf of the American people, what the United States government did was shameful and I am sorry. It's cool that he apologized. I mean, Maybe do that a little sooner or just, you know, not have done that at all. Well, I mean, you yeah. also have to remember like who was in office before him. Right. 
and what was going on because you also had the Vietnam War, Nixon. you had Watergate, you had a whole. You're right, Nixon was there. She's <gasps> Holy right. shit! <laughs> there were quite a few. I mean, some of them Democrats. Uh, but a lot of Republicans for yes, a long time. A lot there. of Republicans for a long time and a lot of shit that needed to be dealt with. And regardless, like it it's good that at least it was acknowledged. This feels like something that could have been swept under the rug forever, honestly. Well, I mean, look at how long the My Lai Massacre apology needed to come Yes. Out. Yeah, at least and we how got to long this. it fucking one. took. Uh-huh. So yeah. I'll talk about the aftermath when we get back. Awesome. Okay. And we're back. We're back. back. Hi. Hi. We had to go do a whole thing. We did. And now we're back again. Yeah. And our voices are only slightly tired. Yeah, I can't actually wait to listen to this and like hear the the actual difference in our voice. We had to go sing a whole bunch. Yeah. (laughs) You guys did. I showered. Yeah, Yeah, you probably sound better now. (laughs) Yeah. I'm clean. (laughs) All right, so aftermath. Yeah. Uh oh. So after everything came out about the Tuskegee syphilis study, it is believed that it severely damaged the trust of the black community towards public health efforts. You don't yeah. say! Uh, the, Weird. The Atlanta murders of 1979 also didn't help. Oh, I bet. And I was going to talk about those, but I didn't because there's no survivors. Oh. But it also That's ties so into so the night doctors where 25 black men were taken off the streets and killed. Oh, my God. No yeah. survivors of that. No Great. survivors. Fabulous. That's awesome. Nope, so, all right. So, obviously, it damaged the trust between black people and healthcare <laughs> efforts. Uh, there was a, st- a survey done in 1999 that showed 80% of African-American men believe that the men in the Tuskegee syphilis experiment had been injected with syphilis. Ooh. Ooh, yikes. Honestly, though, I don't It's not that I, fucking yeah, far. I, it's not, not, surprised. not wrong. Yeah. That's what I thought this was going to be. Yeah. Seriously, though, like, it's, yeah. Like, I would not be surprised. Now, yeah. remember what happens in the 80s. So we have. AIDS? Yeah. We have the syphilis experiment. All the truth comes out. Everyone's freaking out. And then there's the HIV and AIDS epidemic mm-hmm. that breaks out. So everybody's freaking out twice as much. Yeah. And you've still got this mistrust between black people and healthcare providers. Yeah. That still exists to this day where they don't necessarily want to go to the doctor. Sure. Okay. You good, Mushu? No. You done looking out the window? All right. So, Mushu, leave his ear alone. Okay. So let's talk about the families real quick we talked we touched on that saying they were kind of ghosted by the government yeah okay so they because they weren't told that the men had syphilis the women and children were unwittingly exposed to it yeah yeah which it began a a legacy mushu jesus fucking christ Cut it out. He doesn't know. It began a legacy of anger and shame because these women were having babies, not knowing they had syphilis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now the babies have syphilis and it's real bad. <sighs> 
And I'm sure they don't trust any doctors to really help them anyway. Like, yeah, why would you? Right. Yeah. A quote from Albert Julks Jr., whose father was a participant in the program. Um, you get treated like lepers. People think it's the scourge of the earth to have it in your family. Oh, woof. Yeah. So he was talking about kind of what his father had to go through being part of the study. Um, quote, it was one of the worst atrocities ever raped on people by the government. You don't treat dogs that way. There's just, it's so bad. Guys, it's so bad. I just keep like, can you imagine something like this defining your entire life? Like, this is your life now. This is what happened to yeah, you, and yeah. you don't move past this. And it's nothing you did. It's stuff that happened, like, to you. Right. You that trusted someone sense. to yeah. be honest, yeah. and mm -hmm. they lied. For 40 years. And then they kept lying. And now your family's like, affected. It wasn't just, oh, I, I lied. Um, your deviled egg recipe is better than mine, so, like, I said I didn't know how to make them. It's, like, fucking syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking syphilis. It's fucking four decades. It's allowing this disease to spread further as it slowly deteriorates the bodies and minds of the people who got no help on purpose so that we could watch how they got fucked up. Like, yeah, that I is the like, shittiest thing. Not that they're... Not that there should be a justifiable reason, but, like, there's nothing to rationalize that. <laughs> yeah. It just, it sounds like they had this, like, morbid curiosity of, like, I wonder what happens if we just let them go for as long as possible with no treatment. Yeah. Interesting. Like a 12 year old with, like, a yeah. magnifying glass. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, everyone's, like, like, Sid from Toy Story all of a sudden. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, I will close on this quote from Dr. Jenkins. Coop. There's a tendency to believe that African-Americans are reluctant to participate in research because of this one study, and I think that belittles the concerns of African-Americans. They are concerned about public health research because they're alienated from American society in any number of ways, and this study is the bellwether. It's much bigger than just this study, and we're going to have to do a lot more work than just apologize for this. He said that in response to Bill Clinton apologizing. And that is also completely legitimate. That is, like, yes, yeah, yeah. so legit. An apology is always like an okay start. It just like to at least acknowledge this happened. This is our fault. We fucked. We up did this. But then for forty it goddamn years. Yeah, on purpose. Like that's not even a fuck up. That's a nah, nah. We wanted to. Yeah, yeah like we that's did that. Like, oops. Yeah, yeah, whoopsie. <laughs> whoopsie doodle buns. Oh, we seem to have slipped and are just going to keep doing this for 40 years. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I, t I totally agree with him. I get I get where he's coming from. Yeah. Uh -huh. we d I, I don't know specifically what health departments, probably not even, like, not even just in the country, but, like, statewide, countywide, that sort of thing, if they have specific initiatives that have been trying anything to reach out, it'd be interesting to find out. Yeah. If anybody knows anything about how public health initiatives might have been anything, trying to... If anyone knows anything about syphilis... Oh, please. You know what? No, no. no. I don't want to know anything one. about syphilis anymore. We know anymore. enough about syphilis. I, wanna, I know exactly. If you, if you need to learn more about syphilis... Don't Google it. As I said, Google it safely. Right. Don't be a cat and immediately open up images. And then throw your phone across the room while we're recording a podcast. I was curious. <laughs> All right. Y'all ready for some shit? I'm adjusting the mic. I'm sorry. We're it's kind of high up for how we're sitting now. I think we Yeah. 
decided we had worse posture at some point. I forgot I slouched. <laughs> so I was out of town yesterday, and I was actually at Good Neighbor Fest in my hometown. And uh, Good Neighbor Fest? Good Neighbor Fest, that's what it's called. I know, it's really stupid. All right. Um, <laughs> it's fine. And my now husband <laughs> looks at me and goes, hey, John McCain died. Yeah. And that was actually like, I was kind of like, oh, that I'm like sadder about that than I thought. Um, I'm going to address that uh, because... I'm doing the survivor story of John S. McCain III, who survived being a POW. That is the same John McCain. There's not two John McCain POWs. Okay. Nope, that's him. There's actually three John S. McCains. That's why he's John S. McCain III. But (laughs) either way, fuck off. I'll touch on it real quick. So, yeah, um, I figured because um, by the time this comes out, he will have died the week previous. Yeah. um, But it was literally yesterday when we're recording. Yeah. Um, it was an emotional moment for me. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I get very conflicted about John McCain, and we can talk about that more toward the end, I think, because I, I kind of have some stuff on his record since all this, too. So, but yeah, a little bit of background. We've talked about the Vietnam War before. We have! We just a bit. We decided it was not a good thing. It was not. It's generally considered not a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the sweeping <laughs> consensus. The Vietnam War was kind of bad. I think we decided Vietnam and also Nixon, kind of bad. Yeah, just not really a cool guy. Uh Um, The Vietnam War lasted between November of 1955 and April of 1975. Just as a cool reminder, it was a very long war. What's up? And we had troops on the ground before it was officially declared a conflict. Yep. So it's 1967. John S. McCain III is a Navy lieutenant commander. His grandfather, John McCain Sr., had been an admiral in the Navy, who fought in World War II. His father, John McCain Jr., is currently an admiral in the Navy. (laughs) So he's from an incredibly, like, huge military career. Both... Bam, bam! Two generations of admirals. That's... That's a big deal. That's a a huge deal, for sure. So many people under you, so much pressure. Oh, my God, yeah. Lives literally on the line. Right. But so, at the same time, as his father is an admiral... John McCain is serving as a lieutenant commander. Um, So most of us are aware uh, that John McCain, who died yesterday, who served in the Senate from 1987 until his death, um, and who ran for president twice, uh, was a prisoner of war during the Vietnam War. In 1973, after he was released, he wrote a firsthand account of the five and a half years he spent in a POW camp. That's so long. Uh Uh-huh. Remember, this was a 20-year conflict. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, this, he wrote this account almost immediately after being released, and it was put into the U.S. News and World Report, and it was re-released in 2008 when he was running for president. So that's where I got a lot of this from. I mostly wanted to bring that up because, like, it's his words, it's his firsthand account, and I have a lot of parts where I sort of summarize and skip through, but there's a lot of quotes from him because I don't think there's anybody who could tell this story better than him necessarily, no. so I've got a lot that's directly from his mouth. Including this. So the date was October 26th, 1967. Um, And this is his words now. So he says, I was on my 23rd mission. That's a lot of missions. That's so many missions. Yeah. Flying right over the heart of Hanoi in a dive at about uh, 4,500 feet when a Russian missile the size of a telephone pole came up. The sky was full of them. The size of a telephone pole. First of all, that's crazy. And and blew the right wing off of my Skyhawk dive bomber. 
It went uh, into an inverted, almost straight down spin. I pulled the ejection handle and was knocked unconscious by the force of the ejection. The airspeed was about 500 knots. I don't know how you know that at the time, but I'm sure you know a lot of things. Yep. Um, I didn't realize it at the moment, but I had broken uh, my right leg around the knee and my right arm in three places and my left arm. <laughs> Both oh, his arms God. are broken. Oh, God. Jesus. Yeah. I regained consciousness just before I landed by parachute in a lake right uh, in the corner of Hanoi. One of the lakes they called Western Lake. My helmet and my oxygen mask had been blown off. So John plunges into this lake, and I do want to say, like, he describes it better later, but he's in the middle of town, basically. There's a lot of little lakes, but it's still in the city of Hanoi. <laughs> so I'm kind of amazed he's, like, survived that, oh, though. Like, sure. both broken arms. Right. Well, and then he plunges into the lake. He's weighed down by about 50 pounds of gear. Yep. So he keeps, he'll sink all the way to the bottom, kick off from, with one leg, kick off from the bottom, come back to the top. And then start sinking again until he finally figures out how to, with his mouth, open his flotation device, which he says look like little arm floaties, which I think is adorable. Um, and then once he is floating on the surface, he is dragged from the water by some North Vietnamese people, just random people, I guess, who see him land, which I have to imagine is slightly a weird sight. I know they've been at war for a while, but, like, just a dude, like, falling <laughs> out of the sky. Plummeting from the sky. I'm like, you gotta I'm, come get him? I'm kind of picturing this dude, like, his head bobs up in the water, and then mm -hmm. he goes back down again. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, his head just bobs up again. And, like, on the third try, he's got little arm floaties on. Exactly. And you're like, we should probably get him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is him again. Some North Vietnamese swam out and pulled me to the side of the lake and immediately started stripping me, which is their standard procedure. I get that. You got yeah. stuff on you, uh, like maybe weapons and shit. Yeah. Get it off. Of course, this being in the center of town, a huge crowd of people gathered. Sure. And they were all hollering and screaming and cursing and spitting and kicking at me. Yeah. Which, uh-huh. Yep. I feel like that's You legit. look American. Yeah. You sound American. Mm -hmm. When they had most of my clothes off, I felt a twinge in my right knee. At this point, he's had, as he was in the water, he was like, I just don't understand why I can't use my arms and my legs. Right. <laughs> like, he was not It wasn't registering. He's probably in shock. Exactly. But this is the first time he feels some pain. He sat up. I looked at it, and my foot, my right foot was resting next to my left knee, just in, like, a 90-degree position. <gasps> and I said, my God, my leg. And that seemed to enrage them. I don't know why. One of them slammed a rifle butt down on my shoulder and smashed it pretty badly. Another stuck a bayonet in my foot. The mob was really getting uptight. So at that point, like, some other people sort of randomly come out of the crowd and tell everybody to back off. A woman gives him some tea and sort of holds him up, and they bring a stretcher. Um, and the first place he is taken to is the main prison in Hanoi. He is interrogated many times by people who accuse him of war crimes. They tell him that he has to confess, and if he doesn't, then he will receive no medical treatment. And he, again, is busted. All over the place. He's just jacked he is up. jacked up, yes. John chooses not to believe this. He thinks, that's bullshit. I'm more useful to you alive than dead. So I'm going to hold out for medical treatment. And I, I think you'll eventually give it to me. So he's, he's put for a while in this dark lower floor of a prison. In like a dirty room where there's always two inches of water covering the floor. Ew. Yeah. Ew. It, it isn't until, like, he's lying there for a couple of days when people come in and they'll be like, confess. And he's like, no. <laughs> and then 
Yeah, I know. He's a stubborn no. motherfucker. Yeah. That's part of this story. He's yeah. so stubborn. It's great. Um, at one point, one of the people who comes in, one of the guards, pulls the blanket off, and he sees his knee for the first time. And it is roughly the size, shape, and color of a football. And that, like, he realizes that there is blood pooling in there, yeah. and that could kill him. Yeah. He's seen that happen before. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good. When you have a dislocation or anything like that, the leg needs to be set. The arms need to be set. Right. You because can't just it can it clot. Way. It can pool. It can you. all sorts of bad shit. Yeah. It can start dying. And then he's probably got necrotic deal, tissue yeah. already. Yeah. But like he said, like he watched a man die like that pretty quickly, too. And he was like, yeah. OK, cool. So he tells them that he will give them Whatever military information they want. Not political, but military. Um, if they take him to a hospital. And the two people look at him and they just go, it's too late for you. And they walk out. What? Um, I should say here that McCain has nicknames for every North Vietnamese person he encounters. Because he doesn't know their real names. And they are not his nicknames. They are nicknames given to them by people who are in the POW camp as well. Everybody calls them that, but that's all I know of these people's names. Okay. Um, so at one point they've left him to die. He assumes. And then uh, a little while later, there is a man he called the bug <laughs> who, who turns out to be a psychotic torturer. They know that later, but at this point he's just a guy. Sometime later, the bug came rushing into the room shouting, your father is a big admiral. Now we will take you to the hospital. <laughs> oh shit yeah okay like, uh-huh i oh. bet you fucking will oh so now you will uh-huh. so john is taken to treatment because the north vietnamese believe that they have captured someone they consider a crown prince like yeah. he is important yeah so otherwise they don't have the medical resources to waste on people who are very injured when they crash down or whatever happens mm-hmm. usually those people are just left to die yep John is get a bullet to the head. Yeah, for sure. Or just, you know, whatever, screaming somewhere. Like, I guess they, I don't even know. Depends. But John is lucky. And he is eventually taken to a hospital in Hanoi where he has a ton of visitors. Um, A lot of people who come to interrogate him just be like, so how about those war crimes, huh? (laughs) And he's like, hey, bud. Still don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hey, bud. Um, And then there's some people who just are kind of around and they're like, Tell me about the U.S. What's that all about? There was, like, one guy who was in love with Ernest Hemingway, and he was like, tell me about Ernest Hemingway. That's a bad idol okay. to have. Yeah. <laughs> That's a real bad idol. The thing is, like, all John McCain said was, Ernest Hemingway hates communism. Have fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but either way, so he's got a bunch of people coming in and coming out. He is told that a French filmmaker wants to come in and speak to him and film him. Um, and... He says no at first, but this man agrees to take a letter to John's wife and tell her that he is still alive. Because once you're shot down, you're you're missing an action. You're MIA. You're, you're presumed basically declared dead. dead. Uh, he says later, even like he he even called it when I was killed. Because once you're a POW, like they pretty you're much dead. you're dead. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So he's letting he gets to let his wife know that he's still alive, um, and. Meanwhile, his captors are whispering at him the whole time. We would like you to add how happy you are here and how your treatment is so good. <laughs> is it though? And how, how you wish the war would be over soon? And John refuses, and the French filmmaker's like, "Hey, shut the fuck up!" Like he doesn't make them say, him say any of that stuff. He just sends off the message as it's written. 
Um, after that, John has multiple terribly done surgeries. Again, like they don't have the medical technology to handle really serious stuff like this a lot of the time. Um, and they, so they attempt, they did surgery on his leg. He was told later that they cut in the wrong place and cut a bunch of ligaments. Not great. That's great. Not great. That's good. Yeah. They attempted and failed to reset the bones in the arm that he broke three times in three places without what he says, Novocaine, because that's apparently all that would have been there anyway. No Novocaine. Nothing. None. Ouch. So this guy is like trying to reset his arm in three places over a series of hours and not getting it. It's not working. And, um, I guess there's like pictures of him or video of him from this and people assumed he was drugged and he said, no, no, it was just a really long time and I was very tired and in a lot of pain. <laughs> I wish I had been drugged. <laughs> yeah. Your body kind of starts to shut down after oh, a little while. Oh, yeah. just like, nah, like no. a numbness. Yeah. He definitely said he passed out multiple times. Yeah. yeah. So John is in the hospital for a total of six weeks. By the way, they just gave up on his arm and they give him like a chest cast so he can't like move his upper body generally, but they just give up on the arm. <laughs> So he's in the hospital for six weeks, recovering, and then he is moved to a POW camp that the prisoners called the Plantation. Mm. He's in terrible shape when he arrives. Oh, I bet. Yeah. He is put in a room with... He's fucked up. Oh my god, he's so fucked up. He is put in a room with two other men, both of whom thought that he would definitely die in a week. (laughs) Like, they were like, "Uh uh-uh, not this guy. Yeah. (laughs) He weighed 100 pounds, down from 155. He couldn't do anything by himself. Because of his injuries. Yeah. Well, and then also that shitty cast. Yeah. Right. Even if he, <laughs> he still was, it would be like, what the fuck? Um, Domo was... arigato, Mr. <laughs> Roboto. Domo. <laughs> he is sleeping 18 to 20 hours a day. Not yeah. a great sign. No. <laughs> These men, their names are George Day and Norris Overly. They care for him and they are able to like bathe him regularly, which wasn't happening in the hospital. Oh, well, that's And feed nice. him. Yeah, there was like yeah, a... they take care of each other usually. For sure. You've either got assholes or you've got the people who are like, yeah, we're going to band together. We're going to get through this. I actually did like the reason why he's down so much in weight is not just because he's sick, but there was like a 12 year old guard who used to watch him and he would feed him noodles with little bits of gristle in them. Oh, like, shit. Oh. And the gristle would be so hard to chew that after three or four bites, his mouth would be full of gristle and he'd be trying to chew it and get it down. And the boy would just be like, looks like you can't eat anymore and eat the rest of it. What? Yeah. It sucked. He was like, I lived off of like four spoonfuls of food a day for six weeks. Oof. Yeah. Um, and he's just dying otherwise. So eventually, so like again, he fell in the lake. October oh. of 1967. <laughs> um, and eventually, this is in February of 1968 now. Okay. So one, two, skip a few. He's been there with those yeah. guys recovering over a while. Norris Overly, one of his bunkmates, and two other men from the camp become the first three POWs ever released by the North Vietnamese. Oh, shit. Cool. Yeah. George Day stays in John's room for a while until John is able to walk by himself, and then he, too, is moved out in March of 1968. So John is now all alone in what he describes as a blank, empty, 10 by 10 room with no windows. There are two ventilation holes, I think you said four inches by six inches, because of course you know that, near the ceiling. Yeah, you get bored. You get a lot of weird facts that Uh you start to figure out. Oh, for sure. Because he was there for two years. Yeah. Like alone? Like alone. Holy shit. For two years. He would see people when they would take him out to take a bath or like 
empty out his like piss bucket basically. And that was like, he says he lived on just somebody looking at him, somebody waving at him. That's all. That's like, you learn to really appreciate just this one second of connection with a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's there for a bit. Uh, I'm not jumping two years. This is still June now of 1968. And um, men John called the rabbit and the cat start to interrogate him. Quote, Suddenly, the cat said to me, do you want to go home? I was astonished, and I tell you frankly that I said, I, yeah, I guess he said that. I was astonished, and I tell you frankly that I said I would have to think about it. I went back to my room, and I thought about it for a long time. Now, here's why. The code of conduct says you will not accept parole or amnesty, and that you will not accept special favors. Somebody... To, uh, for somebody to go home early is a special favor. There's no other way you can cut it. I went back to him three nights later. He asked again, do you want to go home? I said no. He wanted to know why, and I told him the reason. I said that Alvarez, the first ever American captured in the war, who was still a POW, Jesus, should go home first, and then the enlisted men, and that kind of stuff. So he's got, like, a hierarchy in his mind of, like, people who should go home before him, and he's not hes not going to just say, uh-huh, I'd like to go now. So he's being an officer. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's literally sticking, like, letter for letter, word perfect, the, mm-hmm. like, instruction manual oh, he was sure. given. And he is an officer, and officers are supposed to look out for enlisted men. Yeah. Okay. So, like, he's There's really... a reason the captain is supposed to go down with the ship. Mm-hmm. And be the last person on board. Right. So they ask him this several times, over and over and over again, and he says no. What a stubborn bitch. I know, I love him. It's dope. Um, And then on July 4th, 1968, two things happened. First, John's father, also John, is named the commander-in-chief of all Pacific U.S. forces. And, same day, coincidentally, our John is asked for the last time whether he would like to go home. And he says no. The rabbit says, now, McCain, this will be very bad for you. Go back to your room. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I'm going to talk a little bit about solitary confinement. This is when he was, like, there for two years, right? Yes. So he's in this room. They're pulling him out to interrogate him and ask things like this. But for a long, 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 long time, he's just mostly in this room. Sure. This is what he says. It's vital to keep your mind occupied, and we all worked on that. Some guys were interested in mathematics, so they worked out complex formulas in their heads. We were never allowed to have writing materials, which I would die. Others would build a whole house from basement on up. I have a more philosophical bent. I used to read a lot of history. I spent days on end going back over those books in my mind, figuring out where this country or that country went wrong, what the U.S. should do in foreign affairs. I thought about the meaning of life a lot. It was easy to lapse into fantasies. I used to write books and plays in my mind, but I doubt that any of them would have been above the level of the cheapest dime novel. (laughs) People have asked me how we could remember detailed things like tap codes, numbers, names, all sorts of things. The fact is, when you don't have anything else to think about, no outside distractions, it's easy. Since I've been back, because again, he's writing this as somebody who's free, Mm. it's very hard for me to remember simple things like the name of someone I've just met. During one period while I was in solitary, I memorized the names of all 335 men who were prisoners of war in Vietnam. Jesus. I can still remember them. Like, literally, like, that was so fascinating. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that shit just doesn't go away. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, it's all you have to think about. And why would it go away? You good? Mm-hmm. <laughs> At one point, he hears someone in the room next to him. So he taps out the thing that everybody knows in the camp to tap out. Shave and a haircut. Two just, bits. Yeah, but you just go, bop, 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 bop. Yep, and then they go, and you bump, wait, bump. You wait for the two bits. Yep. He said six bits in his thing, but I was like, John, you're wrong. <laughs> no, John, please. John. No, John. Oh, two, bam, bam. Two weeks later, he hears two bits. What? Yeah. <laughs> the dude doesn't say anything for so long, and then all of a sudden just two na- knocks. And then he knows, like, okay, this guy might want to talk. He begins, they have, like, an alphabet, like, one tap is A, two taps is B. Which, once you get down to Z, is just horrible, to be really honest. Yeah. (laughs) No words with Z. It's not like they, like, are in a rush, though. True. They have all the time in the world to be tapping stuff out. He begins to talk to a man using that alphabet named Ernie Brace. He tells him that with the taps. And they can hold cups up to the wall and Mm. hear each other sometimes. He says he relied upon these conversations um, just as much as all the nodding and the waving. Uh, it is actually a huge risk in the camp to be seen communicating with others. He used to regularly get his ass beat for it. Mm-hmm. He said, there are two reasons for this. One, I'm not very smart. <laughs> <laughs> two, I just never stopped trying. It didn't bother me that they beat me up. I just wanted to talk to somebody. Oh, wow. Yeah. Speaking of beatings. Oh, God. This part's called beatings. <laughs> <God>. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, John. Um, You're so original, Taylor. I know, right? <laughs> So after John refused to be sent home, something he was sure was happening because the North Vietnamese wanted to look humane. Like, the news got to him of his father's promotion, and he was like, of course you're going to release me. He's, now he's this big shot, and you're going to be like, look, look how humane and kind we are. We've released your son to you. Mm-hmm. Be kind to us back. He didn't want that to happen. But after he decided not to go home, the beating started. At one point... Guards from the camp tied John in a room and beat him at intervals for days. Oof. Like, just wouldn't let him go. He's like, he's tied up with ropes. Um, they wanted him to sign a, sa- a statement saying that he was sorry for the war crimes he'd committed and that he was happy with his treatment, as always. It's all they care about. Yeah. I held out for four days, he says. Finally, I reached the lowest point of my five and a half years in North Vietnam. I was on the point of suicide because I saw that I was reaching the end of my rope. So he says, okay, I'll write a statement. And he does. And then he is allowed a couple of weeks of quiet. They just let him up to his room. He says, one, big mistake. Because they could have just kept beating him and kept breaking him. And they let him sit and get better instead. And he thinks it is because they rebroke his arm. And they re-hurt his leg, and they broke a bunch of his uh, ribs. So, like, he's already, like, busted as hell, (laughs) and then they busted him again. So they let him sit just in his um, confined area for, like, two weeks. And after that, he no longer broke. He had no more moments where he was like, "I'm, I'm broken now. You can do whatever you want. He signed no more statements. (laughs) It's kind of badass. I know. Well, and this is his quote about it. He says, when the pressure is on, you seem to go one way or the other. Either it is easier for them to break you the next time or it is harder. Yep. In other words, if you're going to make it, you get tougher as time goes by. Part of it is just a transition from our way of life to that way of life. But you get to hate them so bad that it gives you strength. So, yeah. After that, he was like, fuck you. <laughs> like, I'm John McCain, bitch. I'm John McCain. 
So I'm going to talk about the year 1969 now. I'm sort of going to go by years more than nice. specific events. Nice. Emily? No. Would you like to say no, nice? I don't. Anything about the year of 1969? <laughs> it was the summer of 69. Nice. We went to space. <laughs> we didn't go to space. Well, he didn't go to space. He, <laughs> John McCain went to space. He went to a space. Yeah. <laughs> he went to a small space. Was that 68? When was the moon landing? Was that 68 or 69? I, well, I thought it was 69. I could be wrong, though. It was somewhere in there. Okay, yeah. continue. Anyway, so things got bad in the camp for a while. Unfortunately, water problems meant that Just now. Just now. Just now. Everything else was groovy. Here's the yeah, thing. Yeah, it was fine. Everything was like, okay, and then they started to get worse. <laughs> like, So water problems meant that no one could shower sometimes for a month when they were supposed to get showers every other day. They were only fed pumpkin soup and bread, except on Sundays when they got something they called sweet bean soup. I would die. It sounds fucking horrible. Sweet I hate pumpkin soup? so sweet much. Sweet bean's awesome. I mean, sure, but... I mean, maybe not in a pew. I take that back. <laughs> I mean, just like never any meat, nothing with nutritional no, value, God, stuff no. that goes straight fucking through that you. That shit costs money. Yeah. Uh, prisoners were made to stand up for long periods of time, just cuz. Just cuz. Yep. Once John sat down... After being ordered to stand, and a guard jumped up and down on his knee. Ow. The bad one. So, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. And after that, he was on crutches for a year and a half. Yeah. Because at this point, he's been busted up so many times. He's not healing. Like, at what point does your body go, you know what? Fuck you. I'm not doing anything now. I, I can't no. believe his body didn't do that at some point. I yeah. can't believe it. <laughs> not only that, but he also has dysentery for over a year. So everything's real jacked up up in there. Little like the guy, the dirty water. Uh Yeah, like I feel like the Osmosis Jones of like John McCain, like the Osmosis Jones dudes that are in John McCain deserve a fucking medal. Seriously, (laughs) I mean that's nasty. (laughs) So it's not a fun way to go. No, oh god, no. So the thing is, news of this happening eventually made it to America. Yeah, as it done do. You know. There are videos of men that are that are taken by the North Vietnamese, but they're clearly by men who look like they've been beaten within the inch of their life and like they look under duress. They're yeah. making statements because they have to. It's right. clear. Mm-hmm. There was even one guy. I think he was a reporter. I think his name was Daniel. And he got the worst of it that John had seen. Like so starved, so beaten because they wanted him to make a political statement on video. And he started the video by... Um, bowing at 90 degrees in all four directions. And to the Vietnamese, that's not necessarily super crazy. Bowing is a part of their culture. Not a part of ours. That is a signal to anybody seeing it that he's not okay. That something has happened to him, and he is doing this because he has to. So when he says, I'm fine, everyone's like, he's not fine. Good bitch, no. (laughs) John was like, that guy was a genius. (laughs) That guy gets it. Um... So, yeah, people were seeing videos just like that. They were seeing pictures of emaciated men who looked severely beaten. Um, and it had started to become a serious issue that everybody was talking well, about. Well, because people were having flashbacks to the videos and photos coming out of the Holocaust. Oh, my God, I can't even imagine. Of course. When the soldiers were able to get into the camps and footage was coming out of all of those people and everyone's having flashbacks because right. this is still pretty much 
generations are still alive that were alive when those videos came out. Right. The 70s were, well, not really the 70s, like the 60s and stuff. This is something I actually learned was actually like uh, the first period where the press could go like with the soldiers yeah. and not just do propaganda. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it was the, actually everything you were Vietnam, seeing everything. The Vietnam sure. war was the first war where it was basically fully televised, which is why the reaction yeah. to it was so yes. strong. Part yeah. of the reason why we were so, so, so against it. Yeah. Um, that was the thing. Like, and the North Vietnamese are playing this propaganda game. They mm-hmm. are trying to, they want people in pictures. They want people on video because they think they can be like, the North Vietnamese are very good to me. I'm just going to start bowing all the time. I hope you're really nice to them and the war ends soon. Bye. But everybody trusts their eyes and sees that these people are in horrible shape. Yeah. So it becomes a pretty big deal. Um, prisoners were slowly also released for various reasons here and there. And they looked awful, too. Um, they, like they'd been through hell. Headlines were made all over the world of the huma- inhumane treatment. And this is the reason that John believes that the treatment in the camp suddenly got better in October of 1969. Mm-hmm. Hmm. There was a, oh my God, I didn't put him in here because it, like, it was such a weird detail, but there was somebody they called the, the soft soap man. <laughs> there was like the <gasps> bug and the cat, like those guys were terrible and they would come in and beat you and let other people beat you. And then the soft soap guy was like, he looked like the son of a rich man. Like he was just dapper and he would just bring you nice things. Ding and dong Avon like, calling. Exactly. Like he was just, he's like, here you go. Here's your toiletries and stuff. I'm so sorry they did that to you. I had no idea they were doing that to you. He was like, good cop. Yeah. And he started coming around a lot more often. Um, I feel like he's the guy they send in when they want someone to break. Mm. Because after so much poor treatment, that little bit of niceness oh my God, yeah. can crack someone's foundation. I could totally see that, for sure. That would be me. He, so John at this time was given a roommate again. He doesn't mention this person, but he starts to get moved around a lot, as I'll talk about. He was given extra rations. Uh, the random beatings by the guards who would just enter his room and just kick the shit out of him stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, they started bathing more often. They improved the ventilation in the rooms. Apparently there was like bars and wood like over the ventilation. And they removed that. Oh, yeah. So at the end of 1969, John is mo- eventually just moved from this room altogether. And um, he is moved to an area of camp that other people called Las Vegas. And, like, the little, (sighs) like, different places in there were, like, different uh, hotels on the Vegas Strip. It's silly. Well, you gotta do something. They do what Mm -hmm. they gotta do. Yeah. I think he stayed in the Golden Nugget. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So there he is able to meet some new men. He is otherwise kept in solitary confinement, though, until March of 1970. Over the next year... John is moved often. He's kept mainly in solitary, and he's constantly asked to meet with, like, these anti-war delegations. Sometimes they're from our country. Sometimes they're from places like France. Um, And every time, they're like, it'd be real cool if you just told him how nice we are. And he's like, no. No. What if you said your country was shit? No. (laughs) Nah, hard pass. Until usually, they'll be like, okay, fine. You don't have to say anything. Just go meet with them. He will. He won't say anything. He won't say what they want. So sometimes they'll make him sit outside for three days tied to a stump or something. It's great, but it's not as horrible as it was. Um, Yep, just tied to a stump for three whole days. Yeah. It's totally cool. And somehow he manages to either avoid meeting with these groups at all or avoid saying anything he didn't want to say. 
John's health starts to improve dramatically over this period. Hmm. He says that exercising is, again, basically the only thing to do. So once they're allowed to exercise in their room and they're starting to receive vitamins, um, he, like, starts gaining weight and getting buff and, like, he said that once you, if you exercise into tiredness, then you can sleep. Yeah. And if mm-hmm. you're sleeping, you're not there. Mm-hmm. So, pretty good. So he would exercise all the time. He was also able to slowly but surely see other prisoners in small groups. Like, no more than three men at a time. But you could talk to them. Yeah, there were still other people. Yeah, because you could conspire. At one point, like, things were really bad because some people got together and staged a breakout and it didn't go well and now everybody's fucked. Um, so nobody can get together in large groups, but he's seeing people. Yay. Yay. <laughs> That's nice. Um, he considers 1971 and 1972 a coasting period. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm still here. It's still shitty, still jacked up, but exercise is fine. Right. Yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. better than before. And this is all I remember at this point. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, things really start to look up in, on December 18th of 1972, and that is the day that then-President Nixon ordered the Christmas bombings. And Hanoi was the first target on the list. So, like, by that point, they have rooms with windows. And they're all watching the bombs go off. Oh, man. That must have been, like, Christmas, I guess, uh-huh. like they said. Also, and these are military men, like, I'm sure they're worried about civilian casualties. But at the same time, they're like, fuck them up. Like, <laughs> yeah. get us out of here. Um, he said, we sat there. We had sat there for three and a half years with no bombings going on. November of 68 to May of 72. We were fully aware that the only way that we were ever... I accidentally did a thing. Hold on. I did no, it again. Wait, there we go. Nope. Oh, oh, okay. Oh. That's what I thought was going to happen. Whoop. Sorry. It did a whole thing. There we go. Anyway. We were fully aware that the only way that we were ever going to get out was for our government to turn the screws on Hanoi. Yeah. So we were very happy. In January of 1973, just after the bombings, like the big, big bombings, guards started to group the POWs together in in the plantation. So they went back to this sort of major part of the camp where he had been for a while. Bye-bye, Las Vegas. Yeah. And they were grouped together in the order in which they were captured. And this told John that everyone in the camp is getting ready for release. Like... They're going to release the people who got captured first. First. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, he, like, stuck to his guns. Yeah. And actually, there was, like, even some times when John also had a chance to go ahead. And he was like, uh-uh. I think I'll wait my turn. Thanks. Damn, John McCain was kind of a badass. I mean, most of them were like that. He really wanted to make sure everybody knew. Like, there were a couple people who didn't really think that way. And there was a lot of reasons for that. Yeah. But most of them were very much like, mm I will wait my turn. You're fine. That's what you're taught. Yep. On March 15th, it was John's turn. So this is March 15th of 1973. Six days before my birthday. Nice. Give or take 15 years. <laughs> yeah, you know how it'd be. The men are allowed a day out in the courtyard, and they're given a big meal, as is the way. They would feed them, like, shit for two weeks, one big meal, and then you get to leave. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> Jesus. Such terrible. Um, there was no special ceremony, he says, when we left the camp. The International Control Commission came in and we were permitted to look around the camp. There were a lot of photographers around, but nothing formal. Then we got on the buses and we went to Gialam Airport. Or Gialam? Gialam? I don't know. What do you think? Gia. G-I-A. Gia. 
Gilam Airport. My old friend, the rabbit, was there. He stood out front and said, when I read off your name, you get on the plane and go home. <laughs> Fuck you, rabbit. Yeah, for real. Now, here's my thing. I wanted to chat a little bit, like, look. So that is John McCain's story. He comes home, he almost immediately writes this expose that I've been, like, more or less reading from. Um, he does some more stuff with the military, but eventually he becomes a senator, a U.S. senator for Arizona in 1987. Um, and he spent the rest of his life serving in the Senate. Uh, he was the head of a lot of important committees. There, he did a lot. But I did want to mention, I don't think this man is, like, perfect in any way. I think it's important anyone... that we say that. No. Yeah, no. that's the thing. Like, no one's perfect, and everyone has their convictions of what they stand behind. Mm -hmm. But I, I grew up with a lot of respect for this man. Sure. Like, he was, I grew up in a conservative household, so, like, John McCain was. For sure. Totally When fine. he was running for president, it was like, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Look, yeah, nobody's perfect. There are, some, but he's done and said things that have hurt people. Yeah. He is known for using racial epithets. Yeah. He, um, at the time, opposed the vote to make MLK Day a, a national holiday. By 1990, he said this in 2008, that he uh, recanted that, he regretted it, and he gave his full support to the celebration of it in Arizona by 1990. Look, it's I not I didn't good. know that was a thing until now. I'm just saying, yeah. like... Yikes. A, I mean, again... Nobody's perfect. This man uh, clearly has a lot of integrity, but he's also done things that have hurt people, and I think it's important that we acknowledge that. Yeah, but a lot of people, and if you look at the culture he was raised in and the time period he was raised in, yes, his father probably said worse things. Probably. He did... My great-grandfather's probably said way worse things. Like, I just think it's good to look at this with a lens of, we know you did this. We're going to take it how we want to take it. But at least we, like, I'm not trying to sit here and say that he was, like, a perfect guy because he, he comes off as very much a hero in this story because he is. But he's also done some things that are wrong. I did want to mention, um, after starting to serve in the Senate, he had a huge bipartisan record in the 1990s. Um, he helped normalize diplomatic relationships with Vietnam. Um, he was on a committee with um, John Kerry, another yep. Vietnam War vet. And they did a lot of really, really good work with Vietnam together. Yep. Um, he helped confirm Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Damn. Yeah. Well, I got to thank <laughs> him just for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he is uh, partially responsible. He co-authored with our dopest senator ever, Russ Feingold, <laughs> uh, the McCain-Feingold bill, which they wrote in 1994 but did not pass until 2002. That was about campaign finance reform. Yeah. Which we've since repealed and is fucking us right now. Uh, um, something about that. Yeah. Uh, but that was one of his greatest accomplishments that really, really changed things for a while there. Um, that was a huge deal. He ran for president in 2000 and 2008. He voted against the Bush tax cuts. Like, he was he was known for being not just a party supporter. He did yeah. not vote on the side he of Republicans. He looked at the issues. So, yes. He looked at the issues. He did his homework. And he voted following his own gut. Yes. And, like, again, that just speaks to the man had an enormous amount of integrity. Yeah. And just did not care what other people necessarily wanted him to do. He looked at what was, like, best and the most honorable thing to yeah. do. Yeah. I did just want to end um, on one last quote from John himself. This is how he ends the expose. So it's 1973 when he's writing this. 
They ask him what his plans for the future are. Hmm. He says, my own plans for the future are to remain in the Navy if I am able to return to flying status. That depends upon whether the corrective surgery on my arms and legs is successful. If I have to leave the Navy, I hope to serve the government in some capacity, hmm. preferably in foreign service for the State Department. I had a lot of time to think over there. And I came to the conclusion that one of the most important things in life, along with a man's family, is to make some contribution to his country. So, thanks, John McCain. We're sorry that you died. <laughs> like, I'm I seriously sorry. am. Like, I'm super sorry that I'm, you died. And I am sorry that there's someone out there being shitty in their own campaign and still speaking really ill of him and being really shitty. Because, I mean, John had nothing but good to say about most of the other people who yeah. were in that camp. Yeah. Everybody did their best. They all joked at him that he'd be the last guy out. Because <laughs> they were like, you won't go. You just won't. <laughs> like, yeah. you'll, you'll just be, you'll how, stay here like, on purpose. How the, f I mean, obviously he stayed like sane doing that shit, but like five years is a long ass goddamn time. Like I would have broken within like the third day. I would have been oh like, God. nope. Right. <laughs> I think the, that human beings can get used to things we never imagine until they're happening. It's crazy. Yeah. But there's also like there is a hardness of spirit that he definitely has. It's good. To be oh stubborn. yeah, no, that guy took like all of the things that were bad and just punched it in the dick repeatedly. For real, every for real, for John real. McCain punched everything in the dick. <laughs> is basically what happened. Okay, so that's not a quote that we can put. No. <laughs> but, like, I still like it in my own head. No, sometimes it pays to be stubborn. For sure. Like, I know a lot of the times when we're talking about surviving, there's the needing to be flexible and to adapt to the situation and to not get stuck in a singular way because it could be your downfall. But also, like, sometimes it pays to be a stubborn asshole. For sure. Just to be too stubborn to die. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. John McCain looked death in the face and was like, nah, I'm good. Like no 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 I think I might just go on. You Thanks. know what? I'm gonna just keep doing me. Thanks. I haven't finished writing this play in my head, right. so like I've gotta, you know, I'm a completionist. I'm reading a noir now oh, and it's just, it's just oh, it's so killer then. I just need to know how the book ends. <laughs> One other really cool thing I learned today is that he is going to be uh laid what's called in state. Uh, which doesn't happen very often. It means they put the casket of a person in the rotunda of the Capitol oh. so people can come see him. That doesn't happen a lot. So like a yeah. big-ass wake. Yeah, huge. Like for the people for several days. Yeah. Th that mm -hmm. happens to presidents sometimes, big military members, and so it's, it's kind of a huge deal. It's huge. Anyway, anything else? No, because now I'm sad and emotional. Me too. <laughs> um, like, Fuck. Thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been the uh oh feeling. I'm Taylor. <laughs> I can't do this right now. I'm gonna do it sadly. Oh, I'm God. Taylor. I'm Emily. I'm Kat. And just like, don't forget your can of water. <laughs> I forgot. I had